You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to River. If you were here Thursday night, you will recognize that message. We talked about that actually with Hebrews, and it's just so cool that uh, the Bible's good for us as adults. It's good for our kids. Those are important lessons to, to not just begin to be lackadaisical or lazy in our faith or our walk with Christ. In fact, this morning, we're going to talk this about what it means to come close to Jesus, to to pursue him, to, to draw near to him. As uh, we last week we left Ruth off, she's out gleaning in the field, as you remember. Ruth's such a short book of the Bible, just a, an amazing book of hope. And some more than one of you have come to me and said how much you've just enjoyed and appreciated walking through the book of Ruth. And it's your favorite book or one of your favorite books in the Old Testament in particular. And, uh, and I agree, such, such hope, such incredible blessing in the middle of that. And today we're going to talk kind of about the story behind the story uh, is, is, in fact, as the kids video talked about that all the Bible is about Jesus uh, from beginning to end. Jesus on more than one occasion reminded or instructed his followers like, hey, from Genesis all the way to Malachi in the Old Testament, it's all about me. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And now we who are alive after that know that from Matthew to the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And that's what we just kind of finished up talking about on Thursday nights. When we come to the book of Ruth, we should see it as for what it is. There's a multitude of things in here that, that should, should impact us and hit us. And it's an incredible story of God who takes care of and provides for his people, provides for people who turn to him, no matter their background, no matter who they are, where they've been, what they face, that, that God, when we come to him will care for us. When we trust him and follow him and obey him, he will certainly do that. And it's an incredible story as we're going to see. And, and you guys know the end of the story. Ruth and Boaz will, will meet and they, or they haven't met, but they will come together and be married. And it's a picture ultimately, uh, even more so, it's a picture of, of us coming to our Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible in several places compares us as followers of Jesus or his church as a bride. And that we come to our groom, Jesus Christ. The Bible uses that metaphor regularly. In fact, Song of Solomon wrote about that. He, he, it's certainly a picture of, of him and the, the Song of Solomon uh, with one of his one of his wives, his woman, if you will, but there's a deeper under story in the middle of that, a current, if you will, below the water that's passing through that, that God, all from the beginning, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, is preparing us and teaching us about how we come to him. So this morning, as we're going to see that Ruth and Boaz take that next step, and Ruth takes that initiative to, to come to Boaz, and she pursues him, and that he receives her so amazing, it's really a picture of what it is for you and for me to come to our Lord Jesus and how we draw near to him. So there's some lessons in here for us to learn in that vein, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So read with me, if you would, in Ruth chapter 3, starting in, in verse 1. So they're in the middle of the barley harvest. Ruth is working hard. She's bringing home the bacon, as it were, taking care of her mother-in-law, her adopted mother-in-law. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, we see this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Some of your translations may say, Should I not seek a home for you? That's the idea of rest, a, a, a place for you, a place of future, of security, of safety, of blessing, of purpose, of meaning. Is it not my place to 
help you find that in your life. You see, God puts within our hearts as followers of Him a desire to, to be home, to be with Him, a desire for that, that safety and that blessing. Be honest with you, every person on this planet has that desire. But when we become followers of Jesus, we well, part of that process is we realize He's the one I've been looking for. He's the real hunger. He's the water that satisfies. He's the purpose. And so there's that drive in our heart to, to know him, to be with the Lord Jesus. So Naomi comes and says, shouldn't I find that place for you? And as she unpacks it with Ruth, she says this in verse 2, is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight. He's the harvest has come in, and they're separating the chaff from the, 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 the pod, you know, the, separating the, the, the grain from the, the, the material outside of it. He's there winnowing that. He's doing it tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking." Watch where he's going. Watch what he does. Don't go up to him, but pay attention to what he's doing. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now we read this today and just like, that's weird. You know, if the roles have been reversed, if it was a woman lying down and the guy next to her uncovered her feet, we would call him a creeper, right? So I don't know if a woman does it, what that makes her, but it's kind of right, kind of there, for real, you know? Strange, very strange. I don't, we got to realize the Bible has different customs, different times. Probably none of us in this room have ever tried to thresh barley before on floors. Like, this is just a different world. So be careful when you read this passage. You don't read into it your own thinking, our own Western thinking. In fact, if we were to put this in a movie today, she basically just propositioned him, and, you know, like this would have been probably at least PG-13, if not moving on the way to R, but that's not what's going on here. This is very clean, very wholesome. She comes and uncovers her feet. The only thing that makes sense to me, presumably, is that cold air comes coming down in the middle of the night, and she needs to have a conversation with him. When your feet are uncovered and it's cold out, don't you wake up, you know? So the last thing he needs to be is nice and cozy and snug as a bug in his rug, you know? So she uncovers his feet and waits for him to wake up to have the conversation. So that's what's happening here. In verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did... What she, uh, did I miss that verse? Think, go and cover his feet. Yep, and he'll tell you what to do. So she replied, all that you say, I will do. That's the part we missed. Ruth said, I'll do everything you said, Naomi. An important phrase there. So she went down in verse 6 to the threshing floor, just, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he wasn't drunk, but he had enjoyed the party, the harvest celebration. His heart was merry. And he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. When you've got that much money and your future's banked on it, you stay the night. You guard it. You don't go home. You take care of it so that no one robs it and nothing comes and takes it away from you. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and she lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet like, whoa. And he said, who are you? 
you know, it's nighttime. This is not, you don't just flick on the light. You know, apparently it wasn't a full moon and just like, whoa, there's somebody here. I don't know what's going on. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You'll remember that, that Boaz used that exact same phrase in chapter 2 when he first talked to Ruth, said, you've come for protection and safety under the wings of the Lord. And now Ruth turns and uses that exact same phrase toward Boaz. Come spread your wings. Take care of me. In other words, she was kind of stepping out on a limb and like proposing to him, you know, just like, hey, I'm, I'm ready if you're willing to be more in this relationship because you are my redeemer. We're not going to talk a lot about that today. Really important concept. In fact, it's really the picture of Boaz as the, of Jesus and, and redeeming us as his people. We're going to talk about that next week in chapter four, but she comes to him and makes herself, avails herself to him and asks to enter into that relationship with him. He says in verse 10, he says, and he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. He's older than her. We don't know how much, but he's older. And you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You see, Boaz was taken by how well she took care of Naomi and how faithful and the kindness she showed in that. And now he's like, this is even more crazy. You're, you're, you're willing. You're not pursuing after the, the cool guys around town. You're not after the, you know, the, the young, the hip, the whatever. You're willing to come hang out and be with me. And he's amazed by that. He says in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. Don't worry. Be afraid. I got it. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And she's not sure what he's going to say. She basically opened herself up, risked rejection, risked all of those things, and he probably heard it in her voice. He didn't see it so much because he couldn't even tell who she was, couldn't read a whole lot of body language, but he probably heard it in her voice. And he said, relax. I'll do everything that you're asking. I'll pursue it. He says in verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. The, the nearest relatives, when a spouse, when a woman lost their husband, to continue that bloodline and that name, the law would have the next kind of eligible bachelor closest in relationship to the, the husband would be responsible to then to marry that woman and to, to continue that line. And those individuals were called a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. And he says, it's true that I'm a redeemer, but there's a redeemer nearer than me. There's somebody closer in relationship, and they have ver they're first in line. Remain tonight, in verse 13, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And the rest of the story continues from there. She lies down, gets up early, and Boaz sends her away, not empty-handed, but gives her more grain and, and continues on. And she goes home to Naomi, reports back, and Naomi says, relax, be still. The guy's not going to sleep. He's not going to rest until he takes care of this not going to rest. Three things I want us to notice. 
a picture. This is such an incredible picture of how you and I should learn from Ruth to put ourselves in her shoes as we draw near to Jesus. You see, when, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, when we enter into that relationship with him, there's something amazing that God does inside our soul. It's not like making a decision to get a driver's license. It's not like making a decision to go to a particular college or to buy a particular home or live in a particular place or to take a job. Those are, those are decisions that are certainly important, but they're outside of ourselves, if you will. When we receive Jesus Lord of our life, it's not just a, an external decision. It's something that's internal. It's something that changes us on the inside. It's, it, it, there's nothing like it on the planet. It, it just, there's nothing anywhere close to it. And so it, 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 what God puts inside of our heart is a desire to grow deeply in this relationship with him to walk with him, to know him more, to be with him. Have, we ever, have you ever seen a couple that truly loved one another when they were dating or maybe engaged or that kind of thing? They're, they're, they're crazy. It's almost like dripping sick, sickly, like seriously? Like this is so pathetic. You guys just are always wanting to be together. Don't you do anything else in life? I imagine those of you that have been married a long time were probably just as pathetic, you know? I know that I was. You don't want to be, it just, you want to be together. That same inclination, but even more so, God puts in, inside of us, puts that down deep. But there's three things that we need to know as we pursue our relationship with Jesus. After we have that relationship with him, the first thing I want us to know is that we need to prepare our hearts as we come near to him. Pre prepare our hearts. Naomi turned to, to Ruth and said, Ruth, I think there's an opportunity here for you. Boaz is a good guy. He's got a responsibility. He's proven his worth. In fact, I knew, she probably knew his reputation even beforehand. And she said, young lady, it's time that you take a step forward. And so go wash yourself anoint yourself. In other words, put on some good, sweet-smelling stuff, whatever they used to that day. Put on your, your good clothes. Put off the morning clothes. In that culture, morning would not have been a day or a week or a month, and you would have worn, kind of like old school, if you go back in the beginning of our country, you know, we wear black or whatever. We kind of don't do that so much anymore, but you wore specific clothes with morning, and, and Naomi said, take all of that off, Put on your best dress, as it were, dress up, whatever that means to you. Put on your best and go down and have a conversation with the man. See, when you and I draw near to Jesus, we need to prepare not the outside so much, but we need to prepare the inside, our heart. Listen to what James says. James, the Bible says this, James chapter 4, he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Make a decision in your mind and your heart to come close to God, and he's going to respond, and he'll come close to you. That's what we see with Ruth and Naomi. She made a commitment. She, she stepped out to draw near to Boaz, and Boaz said, relax, I'm going to come near and meet you as well. So draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow, Sean, that's hardcore. Cleanse your hands, be wretched and mourn and weep. 
Here's who James is writing to. James is writing to a people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're saved. They're born again. They're on their way to heaven. But they, much like the video, the kids' video that we talked about with Hebrews that was warning us, they had kind of let their faith grow cold. They had let their relationship with God just kind of coast. They kind of had taken that for granted. Their walk with Jesus Christ was lukewarm and become pathetic, apathetic. And because of that, they had allowed sin to creep up and take first place in their life. And James has challenged me. He's like, look, you need to draw near to God again, not to be saved, but to, to, to re be refreshed in that relationship. And when you do, clean your hands, purify your hearts, set that stuff aside. Mourn and weep that you've allowed yourself to get into this place where you've let other things take priority over that relationship with you. You see, there's a season in our life when you and I have, have kind of put God on a back burner and our walk with Jesus Christ is, is just kind of, it's there. It's not that we deny God. It's not that we turn into atheists. It's not that we just turn our back on Christ. But we allow that relationship to cool. It's not unlike what marriages often will go through. Start out hot and then just through either laziness selfishness or pride or distractions in life to allow those things to drift in distance and people begin to, to coast and go along and then other things begin to take place and precedence and priorities and we become vulnerable to other relationships and, and when we get into that spot, that's what James is telling us, when we get into that place where we've allowed other things to take our priority for Jesus, we ought to mourn, we ought to grieve. We ought to realize that we're dirty, that we've become tainted, and that to be renewed in that relationship with God, we should have a hope in the middle of that, that God's going to receive us. But we have to get clean first. We've got to recognize what we've done. We've got to repent of that filth, repent of that cold heart, repent of whatever we've allowed to take priority in our life. And we've got to come and draw near to God. You see, as Ruth came near to Boaz, it would have been so strange for her to walk in dirty and filthy and smelly. Days of work and just to present herself in that way. It would have been almost offensive. So often it's easier for you and I to feel like we can just take the good stuff from God Go to him when we need stuff, but not go to God in reality when we have all this other things in our life. Like, God's not going to get close to us. It's offensive. We smell. We stink. And we've got to turn away from that. You see, when Jesus saves us, he frees us from those things. Now, this make clear, this is in the context of people who already know Jesus. If you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, you can't clean your life up. In fact, your first step with Jesus is to go to him and say, I can't do this, but would you receive me anyway and forgive me and save me? And I want to turn from that. After that, we have a responsibility that when he's broken those bonds of sin that have cha we're chained to those things that we're freed and he expects us to turn continuously in our life away from them and to walk with him and to be with him she so she cleans herself up washes that that's a repentance 
dealing with her heart, if you will. And then she anoints herself and puts on the sweet, smelly, smelly, right? The whatever body wash and whatever perfume and sprays they use. It doesn't do you much good to clean yourself up than to walk three miles and you're sweaty and dirty again, right? It just doesn't work. So you got to put on a little something to kind of let you walk through the dirty stuff, but to stay, you know, a little bit clean. So she anointed herself with that oil. There's a picture in here, guys, for us. In the Bible, the anointing in the Old Testament was a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down upon a person. In fact, Isaiah 61, it says that, it's, it's talking about Jesus. It says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says that we too have an anointing. See, it's not enough that you and I just repent of our sins. If we're really going to draw near and have a, a relationship that's close and growing, that lives with Jesus day in and day out, that regardless whether things are bad or good or indifferent, that there's an encouragement in our heart that every day is going to be a cool day because we get to do it with Jesus. That every day is an okay day. Every day is, we're going to be all right because we're with Jesus. And that hunger grows. It should grow in our life more and more the older we get. So oftentimes people get excited about Jesus and then they just kind of fall off after that and they just stay and are comfortable and they perk along down here. You see, actually our relationship should grow sweeter and more and more intimate and desire him more and more. And if we're to do that, there's a repentance, a cleansing in our soul daily, repenting of that stuff and pursuing him. There's an anointing with the Holy Spirit that we walk in here in the Spirit. You see, this is the positive side. The cleaning up gets rid of the bad. The anointing puts on the good. And we're to walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, and when we do, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You see, if we're going to walk with our Lord Jesus, there should be a proactive daily walking in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we do, we can walk through the stinkies of life. And it doesn't stick to us so bad, and we still smell sweet. We can still be around Jesus, if you will. But walking in His Spirit, walking in that world, and wearing the, the clothes. You know, she, she would have been wearing mourning clothes, most likely even coming into, into Israel. When she left Moab with Naomi and wore that, you know, the the. the the, the, the clothing that anyone just looking from afar known that she would have lost a loved one and they would have known the story. And Naomi said, now it's time to put that off, to put on new clothes, new clothes. Look what Isaiah chapter 6 says. Isaiah says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. No mourning, just joy praise, excitement, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Notice he says he's covered me with that robe of righteousness. He's clothed me with a garment of salvation. When you and I receive Jesus as Lord of our life, he forgives us our sins. And the picture that Jesus even told of a parable of being invited to a wedding feast, that he puts on a, a pure and clean robe because the clothes that we have are not good enough. 
They're not worthy enough. They're not pure enough. And he, he clothes us in his righteousness, a picture of him covering our shame, covering our sin, covering the, the sinfulness of life and all of that. As, as Ruth came to Boaz, she put on her best clothes. And it's a picture of the salvation that you and I receive and a picture of that joy. See, when we come to Jesus and as we walk with him daily, Yes, that we should bring to him our struggles, and we should bring to him our grief, and we should bring to him the challenges of life. But we also have that, ought to have a joy in the middle of that. Put it this way. Do you over, you're glad to, when you have friends and close people, whether it's your spouse or somebody that you know that you love, it's good to be real with one another, right? It's good to be real. If you're down, it's good to... Be down and to be okay and let them to know that. When you're up and you're happy, it's good for them to know that. But after a while, day after day, week after week, month after month, if that friend or family member of yours is always down and never experiences joy and kind of looks out at life like the old Winnie the Pooh with the Eeyore, you know, the sky's always falling, chicken little, I guess. I'm mixing my childhood metaphors here. The sky's always falling and the world's always bleak and it's always a horrible day. After a while, don't you just want to say to the person, like, whoa, like there's a lot of good stuff in life, and somewhere along the way, you need to have a joy in that. See, as followers of Jesus, we don't, we don't need to be just excited about everything goes on every day. Like, we should be real with him. But it's no fun being around people that never have that sense of joy and peace and security. And as we draw near to Jesus, there ought to be a joy in our life because when we're with him, everything's okay. Everything's not a disaster. Everything's not awful. And there should be a, an excitement and a joy of what he's done in our life and a recollection and, and a kind of a, a staying in that world. You see, you can't really grow in that intimate relationship with Jesus without that that joy and living in that world and that he saved you and has received you and here his child. So the first step is to prepare our heart. If you want to really walk with Jesus, deal with the sin in your life consistently. Repent of those things. Allow, well, Sean, how do I do that? The Bible says, in fact, Jesus says in Ephesians 4, talking about the roles of husbands and wives. That's why this is a metaphor that runs all through the thread of Scripture. And Jesus told us all the Old Testament's about him. So we turn to the book of Ruth. We ought to see, well, okay, Jesus, where are you here? Oh, Boaz is clearly a picture of Jesus. He's from Bethlehem, where our Savior's going to be. He's a Redeemer, who our Lord Jesus is. We'll talk all about that next week. And the Bible tells us that it is, it's in Ephesians that Paul impacted that he said, Husbands, you should love your wives just like Christ did, and he loved the church, and he loved it in such a way that he washed it, cleaned it, purified it with the Word of God. When you and I struggle with sin, if we're trying to get out of those things and deal with those things, how do we do that? The Word of God purifies our soul. What water and soap is to our bodies after a sweaty day or time of working out, or maybe you've been working hard outside in the garden or the yard or building something, you're sweaty. Isn't it nice to take a, a good hot shower and clean up and just feels good, right? The Word of God does that to us on the inside. It convicts us, it scrubs us, it gets in under the nails and 
gets all that yucky bacteria and just the word of God cleans us up. So if you really are going to walk with Jesus, you've got to be in that word to clean the grime that just is naturally going to come up in your life daily. Walk in the Holy Spirit, actively pursuing his leadership in your life. Walking in the joy of your salvation and all that God's done with you. And every day becomes an adventure with God. First step is to prepare your heart. Second thing I want us to notice is not only do we do that, but then we need to be willing to spend time at Jesus' feet. Now, this is so odd to us, you know. Most parents want their kids to, you know, grow up and find somebody and get married and have a wonderful life and happily ever after. Truth be known, life doesn't always happen happily ever after, but that's, that's the desire. What strange advice. Go lay down, uncover his feet. I've never seen that in any book on dating, how to find anybody, you know. I've just, I've never seen that on an app. Here's how you, how you know you find the one, you know. Go If you use the Bible literally and strictly on all of these things, like you're going to be all kinds of stuff going and finding a camel to see if your, you know, your possible future mate's going to water, you know, the whole Isaac picture and all that. Anyway, but there is a picture that Ruth came to Boaz and she just watched him and stayed at his feet until he told her what was going on. You see, if you really are going to walk with Jesus in your life, you're going to have to spend some time at Jesus' feet. And when you do, you're on Jesus' timetable, not your own. Now, here's a big one. Even if you're repenting of sin and walking the Spirit and all of those things, there's a really another big thing that prevents us from truly growing our relationship with Christ, and that's the distractions, the self-directions and focus of all the tyranny of what we have to do and what's going on in our life, all of our dreams and our plans and all of that. Ruth came to Boaz in the middle of the night, and she just stayed there until he finally figured out what was going on and told her what to do. You see, she was on Boaz time, not Ruth time. She wasn't thinking, come on already. I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm not sleeping well. I'm not in my own bed. Wake up already. Had that been you and me, we would have probably been like jiggling the feet, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, we would have been like trying to move this thing along. If we'd have been in a car, it would have been, oh, I got to get moving. Don't these people know I got places to go, things to do, stuff to accomplish in life. We don't see Ruth saying, oh, I got so much to do tomorrow. This guy is just like, what? She just patient. Oh, my goodness, patience. You and I often lose patience with God. Well, Sean, I don't know that I lose patience with God. Oh, we do. Because when God doesn't just jump in the middle of whatever we're wanting to get done and meeting with us, we only tolerate so much when we're off to the next thing. And sometimes we're so much off to the next thing, we don't bother just to stop and to be with him at his feet. That's what Mary chose, right? With the whole story of Mary and Martha, they're there with Jesus. 
And Martha's busy cleaning house, taking care of food and all of that. And she kind of gets a little frustrated at her sister, like, Jesus! You know, it's like you get a picture of like two kids. I'm sure as sisters, they were like back and forth on this one growing up. But Jesus, tell Mary to stop just hanging out with you. She's not doing anything. Tell her to help me. And Jesus just says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and fussing over a lot of stuff. But Mary's chosen the best thing. If you're really going to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus, you're going to have to spend time allowing him to do what he wants to do. And you respond to what he's doing rather than trying to get him to do what you want in the middle of that. When it comes to that, that's patience and that's an incredible submission. See, that's the issue. When you and I are in the honking of the horn stage of life, and we're there and we just want these people to clear the path so we can get through, we're not in a humble, submissive state. We're actually more of an aggressive, take-charge state. You see, the patience and the waiting is a supreme act of submission. And what's going on is, is that we have to learn is that God wants our all. And very often, the Lord Jesus just doesn't snap to to what we want immediately because he's teaching us to tune into and Put him as our priority of life. And he's training us and honing us to simply sit at his feet and to be with him and not be so worried and fixated on all of that. If you want to live a life where you just have a sense of the presence of God in your life, you're going to have to spend some time sitting at Jesus' feet because what he wants is to increasingly teach you for him to be number one in your life. I remember years ago when I first got a cell phone, had a flip phone. Those rooms were so cool. I still think they're better than these smartphones today. I mean, you could be like, you know, Captain Kirk on Star Trek, you know, those kind of things. And when I got it, I got one before Susan. It was a, it was a work phone for me. And, uh, and I don't remember. I told her something to, to call home or whatever. We might have been out together, and it was the home phone was in there. And it was back when you would put in, you know, your speed dial, so number one and number two and all that. And I put her in as number two because in that day, number one was always what? Voicemail. And you didn't have an option to switch it. And when she hit number two, she's like, well, who's number one? Like, honey, I'm like, listen, babe, I tried. <laughs> I couldn't change it. No spouse wants to be number two. Nobody goes on a date and says, how long is this going to take? Because, you know, I, I got some other stuff I need to do. And yet, how often do we do that with God? Like, subtly, he becomes number two. And we don't get married like, how much of this time is it going to cost me? You know, I think I can give you every Tuesday and every other Friday. I think I'm good for that. No, we just pledge ourselves entirely to whatever. And so we should do that with our Lord Jesus. We should not do that. Instead, what God wants is all of us. And that whole sitting at his feet, spending time with him in his word, spending time growing with him. For you, that may be getting a devotional book. For you, that may be listening to some praise music intentionally. 
For some of you, it may be going back to or starting to learn to read your Bible and spending some time praying and just sitting at his feet. Right now, I've been reading through the Gospel of John, and it's a translation I didn't grow up with, and and it's it's a little bit different. I encourage you, if you've been reading the Bible a long time, switch translations. It just kind of refreshes it, and you see things a little bit differently. You see things you didn't see before. And I'm just astounded every day, excited to just see what Jesus is going to do. And I don't know how many times I've read the Gospel of John. But spend time at his feet, and you'll see more and more of what, who he is and a sense of walking with you in life. Start your day with that. Read other books, spend time worshiping, listen to other sermons, whatever you got to do. But make your days about following him, even in the middle of all of the stuff at life. And sit at his feet, and then you are ready for the third thing. And the third thing is is to decide beforehand that you're going to obey him. You see, when you sit at his feet, you're on his timetable. Ruth didn't know what was going to happen. Man, that's a big deal. Naomi just said, I can't answer, tell you what's going to happen. Well, how long am I after late? Wait, I don't know. What's he going to say? I don't know. What's he going to do? I don't know. We don't like that. We like guarantees in life. We like to have everything spelled out. And we like all the details and what's going to happen next and next and next and next. And Ruth had to just simply wait at his feet. But before she did that, she had determined in her mind to obey and to respond to whatever he said. See, that's what Naomi told her. Naomi said, observe the place where he lies, then go and cover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. You don't have to worry about anything else. He'll tell you what you should do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Ruth wrote Jesus a blank check and essence said, whatever you put in that, whatever you require of me, I'm going to follow through. No better advice has Naomi given, and much like Mary in the New Testament and the mother of Jesus told those early servants when he turned the water into wine, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You see, when you and I want to come near and walk with Jesus, we have to have a complete submission, setting aside of what we're going to do, and we simply say ahead of time, whatever he says we should do, whatever he tells me that he wants me to do, I've already decided I'm going to do it no matter what. We're in a relationship with the God of heaven. This is not like going to work and your boss telling you to do something, and you may or may not do it. It depends on how much grief you want to get and whether you want to get fired or not or whatever. This is not not like going to the store or going to shop for a vehicle and getting there and deciding if you're going to do it or not. It's not like signing up for a a, a new fuel carrier or new electricity provider or whatever and reading the terms and then deciding if you're going to do it or not. This is you and me. This is more like being in the military where we go to our, you know, we sign up that we know whatever they tell us we're going to do, we got to do and we're going to do it. If you're going to truly walk in a relationship with God daily, growing in that relationship with him, a sense of him in your life, And going on that adventure with God in your life, no matter what stage in your life you're in, no matter what you're walking through, you have to determine beforehand that all that he tells you to do, you will do. No questions asked. None. And you have to decide to do it beforehand. 
By the way, that's one of the best ways to deal with sin and temptation. Too often, we don't decide early enough in our mind. It's one of those things, if you're just dealing with sin in your life, you kind of subtly, maybe unconsciously and maybe consciously, well, I'll decide when I get there if I'm going to go do that again or not. Part of it is just saying, my mind is made up. I am not going there. You decide beforehand. If you and I are to walk with the Lord Jesus in our life, He has our yes on the table, no matter what He requires. And make no mistake, He requires everything, everything in our life. Tony Evans, the pastor, tells a story. It's kind of a funny story. He tells a story about the chicken and the pig walking down the road together in town. And they're walking along, and they walk by a grocery store, and on the outside of the store says, bacon and eggs wanted. And the chicken looks at the pig, and the pig looks at the chicken, and the chicken gets an idea. Let's go help the grocer. I'll give him the eggs, and you give him the bacon. And the pig looks at the chicken and like, you're nuts. You're crazy. And the chicken's like, what's the problem? The pig explains, yeah, for you, this is only a contribution. You can lay an egg and walk away. For me, this is the whole thing. I give him bacon, and I, I got nothing left. That's everything. You see, what the Lord Jesus wants in our life is our everything. Too often as followers of Jesus, we just want to lay an egg and an egg and another egg and just kind of here's our great contributions and go on with our life. But what God really wants is our whole life submitted in walking with Him. He wants us. He doesn't need the other stuff. He wants us. So my question this morning is, is are you pursuing the Lord Jesus with you? like the pig, or are you more like a chicken that just on your terms and you give God some contributions, whatever that looks like, your time and part of your heart and your day and your money and all of that, or are you genuinely walking deeply with Him? I believe in some ways there's a picture of our discipleship and growth is that we start out in many ways like chickens, all of us as Christians. And God, through time, wants us to become more like the pig, willing to give him everything. So this morning, I want to challenge you in your heart to walk, make a commitment to walk with the Lord Jesus, to draw near to him. Whether you've been walking close with him or whether you've been living far away from him, but to respond to that, purify your heart, Walk in His Spirit. Walk in the joy of your salvation and the gladness of the day. Decide in your life to sit at His feet and make time for Him in your life. Not ignoring Him, to make your whole life about Him. Surrendering everything and deciding all of that beforehand as you go through that day. When you do that, you will then have the home and the rest and the blessing that you crave in life. Because for us, that's where it comes from. It doesn't come from the right house. It doesn't come from the right job. It doesn't come from the right spouse. It doesn't come from whether you got a spouse or not. 
doesn't come from having kids, doesn't come from the best vacation, doesn't come from all the things that we can put in place. That home and that rest and that blessing comes when we walk with Him. So whatever God has kind of touched in your heart this morning, respond to Him today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for His salvation. Thank You for the picture of, of how we come to Him and should position ourselves to pursue Him. Lord, I thank You for the confidence that James told us that all we have to do is to draw near to You and You will respond. That's not us manipulating you. That's you setting the terms of engagement, the terms of relationship, that you are always there, ready to receive us when we come as you have so laid out. Thank you that you clothe us with the robes of righteousness of our Lord Jesus. And Father, help us to be a people that walks with you daily in the serenity, the joy, through the ups and downs in all of life. Help us to have that sense, Father, of fellowship, of relationship, of purpose, of fulfillment in life with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And by the way, you know, the youth night is going so well. But if you don't have teenagers and you're not in youth ministry, that kind of thing, one way that you can help be a part of that ministry is to pray for them. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the kids. Pray that we'd be a blessing. Our world around us is messed up. And our kids, and I'm not talking about our own kids, the kids in our community don't know who to listen to. This is a pivotal, pivotal moment in history of life and community for us. This ministry is important, and we frankly need your prayers. So those of you who are prayer people, pray for that, would you? All right, my last little plug. Go have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.